right, I, I just had to press record because we're getting into some juicy conversation. <laughs> Fuck. We're talking about the, the effects of the... The apocalypse. The pandemic. <laughs> Far out. Full on. Keep going, boys. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're all fucked, but no. <laughs> not, not really. We, um, first off, Mark. Hey. Thanks for coming in. You're welcome. Thanks for coming, brother. Excited. You're the first guest that we're going to have on since the pandemic hit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How do you feel? <laughs> Scared. Scared. <laughs> we were just actually talking about the stats, um, and you'd just spoken to someone that was uh, in the front line and working in the hospital that we have here on the Gold Coast, saying that most of the beds are pretty much already taken up. Yeah, yeah, which is pretty scary. So if there's any car accidents out there, the chances of getting a bed are pretty reduced by the sounds of it. That's just crazy. Yeah, no one thinks about that part, do yep. they? But but it's, it's not close to home until things start happening. And I think, you know, we've all found that, you know especially now we're starting to see businesses closing um our own businesses are closing um and the people close to us are suffering and now it's getting a little bit closer to home and we're like oh shit this thing is real so we're not just seeing it on tv anymore it's actually hitting our hitting our home and it's hitting us fast so um brother obviously we want to get into the depths of what you do and the special special businesses that you've been able to build but just quickly, how has this um, pandemic affected, obviously, your business being Blackboard, being a super uber successful, um, you know, cafe business here on the Gold Coast? Are you guys closed? What's what's your status? Yeah, so we're still going for um, takeaway. Kind of, I guess, feels like the early days of Blackboard where, you know, we've lost two shops and rearranged things a little bit and we're literally just working off one counter, doing cabinet food and... Um, and uh, takeaway coffee. <clears throat> I think the hardest thing is um, probably the people. I think that you know, business money aside, um, the people that we had work at or have working for us had working. I don't know the right term at the moment, mm-hmm. but um, you know, they provide you with your livelihood, your happiness, your day to day. And um, I think after Sunday's announcement, where we were pretty much forced to stop operating as we do you know the hardest bit was getting rid of them and um, having those conversations and um, definitely felt like a bit of a broken man on Monday Mm, you know full on yeah man your heart goes out for everyone who has obviously overnight just lost their jobs and their livelihood like you said and um, yeah even just thinking it from our position your position saying you're having to let these people go it's a difficult time for obviously everyone um so it's interesting to chat about obviously you having to adjust and take your business back to where it was at the start for anyone who listens to our podcasts we did have nick on and he did sort of explain the inception of blackboard and the fact that it was um you know a a small mainly takeaway and coffee operation at the start and it's interesting to hear that you've gone back to those roots and you know how's things going now are you confident you're going to see this thing through what's sorry what what are the thoughts that are going through your mind at the moment i think uh at the start of the week everything was obviously like super intense like those feelings of like news like non-stop just being bombarded with information made it hard to kind of clear your head and and figure out what that path looked like once we'd had those difficult conversations with staff i think that uh, for me someone who works in the business pretty much full-time i know the 
intricate corners of my business. I know what it needs to do, how it needs to do it. I think that adapting to that situation was um, pretty straightforward once mm-hmm. once my head was cleared. And, um, you know, like I mentioned before we started, that we do a lot of work in the community. We've, we've give back a lot to the community over the last six years. And I think that that's really... Um, served us well during this time so far so on a daily basis you know we're making sure that everyone's obviously well distanced and and um but the support's been incredible so um that's cool man it's pretty humble and i know um i look to you and a lot of other people that have businesses and they seem very logical very driven but very understanding of what needs to take place and when this thing hit sunday was a perfect example my phone wouldn't stop calling and pretty much every time I would answer it was just like someone yelling hysterically about stuff and not really thinking of what it meant for them what it meant for their families what it meant for their business what it meant for their supporters or anything like that and obviously I imagine someone like you running a team and being a leader would have systematically worked their way through this is what's going to happen now this will be Tuesday this will be Wednesday the thing that I think um I I find all the other stuff okay where they're saying this is the pandemic, these are the stats, these are the numbers because you can see them in front of you. The uncertainty that's um, kind of being created with a lot of people can't create a plan and I'm sure you would be one of those people that wants to create a plan to move forward. Miles is the same. I'm the same where if we knew it's stage three when we have a thousand deaths, hypothetically, I'm just throwing that out, or it's at this point, this happens. You can work towards anything. I feel we can always work towards a solution long term. It becomes very hard for people to structure out their lives, their mindset, their business, anything when there's just so much left open. Mm. How how are you working through that? Because everything else I feel fine with, that's one thing I'm probably struggling the most with. I think uh, for me, like um, me and my wife, uh, Dania, we we watch a lot. Obviously, we've been in business a long time, so we understand um, where business rise and where business falls. So our expectation, you know, over the last 12 months that we were going to go into a pretty big recession. So we made the decision like 12 months ago that we're going to try and, as best we can, recession-proof our lives. So what that looked like is, you know, getting rid of the Audi, no car loan, getting rid of her car loan, buying a car that we owned outright, um, stuff like that, no credit card debt, no afterpay, making sure that our lives were as clean as possible for a recession. Now, we're in a recession now, mm-hmm. but obviously not the recession that was expected, but I feel like um, not having to worry about lots and lots of different finances coming from lots of different directions in your life has probably helped us go what does our bare minimum look like? Mm -hmm. How do we get that bare minimum? Do we have that bare minimum for X amount of months? And, um, and, and we're probably in a better position than most because of that Mm -hmm. recession proof. And I think that that's kind of helped me clear my mind pretty quickly with work Mm -hmm. and forge on and and make a plan. But, you know, trying to make a plan for tomorrow when you don't know what tomorrow is going to look like is is very difficult. Is, is very difficult but for us we're on we're at skeleton there's not really much further back you can pull it from here from a work point of view you know thinking that far back um or being that far thinking thinking forward if that made mm-hmm. sense is 
is so incredible that you've been able to sort of identify um, that, hey, I'm sensing that there's a recession coming. Um, you could tell, and there were a lot of symptoms that a recession was coming. There was a lot of, a lot of data um, out there in the world that were sort of um, positioning it that a recession was coming. The fact that you actually actioned, you know, steps to make yourself recession-proof is 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 huge, um, and all props to you. I, I don't think a lot of people would would have um, done the same thing, um, and would, we're obviously all paying the price for it. Did you? sort of recession proof your business could you have if you did what were what did those steps look like and if you didn't um walk us through sort of what you've had to do as a business to bring it back to the bones um and what that looks like for you in terms of business so we did yeah um we did and that kind of looked like a one week exercise of calling every single supplier and getting prices locked in, getting discounts applied for, for big orders. And um, it was kind of a good time because I, I'll tell you, I mean, I don't read too much um, analytics around economy. I do now a little bit more, but, but I didn't too much then. The biggest thing for me that was the warning sign that we were headed that way is that in the previous five years, no one ever asked, how much does that cost? Mm-hmm. How much does that cost? Oh, sure. And so every day in my business, people were making decisions based on what things cost. Yeah. And that was never like that before. So it's a sign that people are starting to worry about money. Mm-hmm. And when the general public start to worry about money, they stop spending and retail drops and cons- you know, the consumer confidence dropped. And, and that's kind of when we start to see that pattern towards recession Mm -hmm. so i think for us it was staring us in the face every single day when every time someone said how much does that cost how much whereas before they just tap their card yeah "Yeah, i'll take that i'll tap my card yeah i'll take that i'll tap my card Mm -hmm. and because we don't really have any tourists come into varsity because there's not a whole lot there for tourists to do it's um it's you know your mum and dads and your and your general population of of the community and and they're the ones that kind of tell you what are going on, right? Mm-hmm. So from a business perspective, um, it was, it, you know, it's pretty easy if, if you've got a big business to, um, to get suppliers to pretty much move in the direction you want, you want to move. And, and we pay them every week, so they know that they're going to get paid every Thursday and um, they're more willing to do stuff for you, you know? Man, I know that we're going to get nuggets of gold in this chat today and you could almost get so many nuggets of gold that you could make a list of Mark's successful business tips sort of thing. So this is the first one that I've just picked up out of this is a way that you've been able to build a successful business is that you've been proactive rather than what a lot of us are out there, which is reactive. Um, And we obviously get sent a price from a supplier and we say, oh shit, we need to adjust our business and you know how much it affects our margins and things like that. Whereas you've gone, I want my business to look like this and you've contacted the suppliers and you've made it work. Yeah. That's a, that's a massive one. I, more than anything, the one that I took then was also the fact that you just listened to the simple thing that most people would have just overlooked. Like they would have just, a general person in the business probably would have gone, that person asked me, how much is that? And you gave them an answer. But you were told so many times that you took the subtle warnings that I've been asked this now multiple times. My customers are trying to tell me something without telling me something mm. they're not saying hey i'm scared to spend this money they're in another word saying 
I have a limited amount of money I can possibly spend on that coffee or this or that. So what does that mean? So yeah, that that's a massive one. Yeah, and we didn't bank that money. We passed yeah. it on to the customer. Yeah. So what we did is we just adjusted our prices down for the savings that we had. Yeah to make sure people felt good about coming in and spending their money. That was the next thing that I picked up from sort of, you know, the first chat we had at the start of this podcast was how much your community means to you, how much of a community you've built over the years. um, And it's obviously led to the success of the business. How important is community to you when you're making your decisions? Um, Obviously you shared one example just then of passing the savings back onto to your customer, which is huge. Um, how much of the fact that you've built a community has led to the business's success? I think it's all of the business's success, really, because our community isn't just um, people who... I live in the area, so they're my, they're my home community as much as they are my work community, but our staff are our community and they live in the community. And um, I think that uh, anyone who's naive enough to think that you don't need to build a community in a business um, won't get through difficult times because that's when you need them the most and they yep. need you the most you know even yesterday i don't know if you saw we put a post out where if, if the community bought a meal yeah. we'd just donate a meal to a hospital worker that's lost yep. their job and mm-hmm. i think it's at times like that where you really see them band together and and you can pull you know good things out of really bad right. situations and you know i understand a lot of people are out there worried about their own money mm-hmm. but by doing that we reach a greater cause mm-hmm. you know we reach a greater cause that in turn keeps our business going it keeps people wanting to support us so mm-hmm. by not thinking about um the transaction and thinking about the transformation right. um it just works out better that way it's just a much better way to operate you it's know a, yeah for sure man i know that um i've always looked at blackboard as kind of within within every industry there's probably people or a group or a business that can lead the way for almost like its sector, whether it be like the building construction, there may be a company that does it does really well for that, or in marketing, there's another company that tends to lead the way. I always thought that Blackboard did a great way in leading the way for hospitality, not in terms of, well, that's one part of it, the food and the service and everything, but how you guys would treat staff um, and show a way forward that it doesn't always have to be about five dollars to this ten dollars to that x amount of profit x amount of margin you're on your way new customer new staff Mm. member type of situation where it can particularly in hospitality feel very much like that because you're seeing so many people there is a high turnover of staff within the industry even if you're doing a great job it's it just still it is still like that so to be able to lead that path not just for your community, but for hospitality on the Gold Coast in general is something that's, mm. that's really, really massive. Do you know what just hit my mind? I think that because Mark is so in tune with the business, with margins, with what the community looks like, with what the staff need to feel, with the whole business, he doesn't need to focus as much energy on that like everyone else does because Probably. he's become so proficient at it so then now he's worrying about the things that really matter. Yeah. Whereas, and you're able to be proactive with your numbers and your people and your culture and things like that rather than reactive because as I'm, experienced as someone, as, as I'm experiencing as someone who has had no time in hospitality and has 
thrust you know myself and our finances into this crazy world you do become reactive and when things do change you find that you spend all your time worrying about all those little things and adjusting numbers and then you forget about the culture and then you forget about the customer and all the things that matter at the end of that is that a fair representation of sort of what we're talking about yeah i think it is i think yeah i think for me i was told at a a very young age in hospitality that money was a byproduct of happiness Mm -hmm. so if you focus on the happiness then the money comes when it comes you know And, and that's something that i've always sort of hung on to and and it's always been my primary focus to make people happy and um you know there's there's definitely been years gone by that we haven't done a good job and there's been years gone by that i haven't been the best person that i can be and i think that that's part of you know growing as a as a business i think that um for me from a young age i was always driven to succeed i always wanted to succeed and um you know i remember when i was 10 and mum and dad said oh you can't have that jacket we can't afford it and so I went out and it was around Christmas time and I went out and knocked on people's doors and sang them carols with my terrible voice and they gave me enough <laughs> they gave me enough money in two days to go and buy the jacket I wanted wow. and, you know from cool. kind of from that moment I, I knew what I wanted to do and I knew I was going to get there I think um, you know a couple of uh, milestones I guess in my life along the way was um, realizing and it, t- and it took a long time it probably took we took eight years in hospitality to realize that you need really good people around you. How old are you now, just to set the scene? 34. The, 34 yeah. now. So, so I, was a, I was a chef, chef by trade. Right. So um, the first half of my hospitality life, I was working in kitchens. And kitchens are very, very competitive places. You know, it's, um, it's a bit ruthless at times. And you have, to, you have to stand out and push your hardest. So you go from being someone who is cutthroat to try and get to where you want to go in a kitchen and that's what it's like um to then becoming a i became a head chef executive chef in new zealand and um you realize that the better people you have around you the better your light shines i guess you know and it took a little bit of adjusting to go from person who is solely driven for themselves to Mm -hmm. then being driven to you know to be part of a team um, and then to go from being a manager in a team where you, I was able to get everyone behind me and we were all driven to the same cause. We were all going in the same direction. And we, when I was in New Zealand, we did some amazing things in the cafe that we worked at there, like incredible things. And, um, and then I came here with, um, with Nick to do, to do Blackboard. Obviously, he was already open. And um, I just came as the chef with a view to open my own place. He just started roasting coffee. Um, so the plan was always uh, made some money on a house over there. I was going to open a cafe, and um, we kind of hit it off, and things went real well in the in those days. And um, and we sort of tag teamed up. And the hardest thing then was not being able to get the same reaction out of people as an owner as you can as a manager. And it's something I probably struggled with for like a year, like trying yeah. to get the same like culture. Because they just think you're doing it for money yeah. once you're an owner. Whereas when you're a manager, you're you're driven with them. You all they they feel like they're part of you. They're yeah, yeah. for you know what I mean. So it's something that I found really difficult. Funny, I never thought of that mm, up until then. I, I actually had never thought of it because you would have been an owner of a business for what eight years now? Uh, seven, seven, yeah. seven years. And then prior to that, you're obviously high up as a manager and yeah. stuff like that. And 
Yeah, you're right. I wouldn't have even thought of that too, but it's true. Everything that you've said, so each stage, it seems like you've always been in tune with how you um, present yourself um, to other people and how Mm. other people sort of take you and your emotions. And Have you always been pretty in tune with that? Uh, I want to say yes, but I'm very good at self-reflecting. Before, I probably used to do bad things and then self-reflect on how not to be that way anymore Mm. because... I do wear my heart on my sleeve. I tend not. I tend to just say exactly what I feel. Yeah. Um, so if I've got something in my head, then it's coming out. There was, you, you know, you mentioned how when you were a chef in a kitchen, your mentality was very different. You may have been more self-focused and maybe selfish, you know, in a way. Um, and then obviously, when you become the head of a team, you have sort of changed your mentality personality so to speak do you think that you as a person can change from being naturally a selfish person to a giving person for lack of a better word or do you think that by dna you are always more of a giving person um i think i think every single human on the planet is selfish yeah every one of us um we can pretend that we're not selfish but everything i do is for the gain of my family yeah um it's just manufacturing in yourself that ability to give back and to do more. I think that um, it's interesting because it's something I've thought about a lot over the years is that once I became a head chef, a lot of head chefs only want to employ chefs alongside them that are not as good as them. Whereas I chose to do the opposite. So I could then focus on reaching a higher level. So the cafe um, I worked at in... New Zealand we were when I took over there I worked for the group they had like 15 cafes and so I was working in one of their small cafes and um, one of their their big flagship cafe was struggling a little bit and at that point it was doing like three million a year so I went over there um, as their head chef and we turned that business from a three million a year to a five million a year in 12 months by just being efficient and by building a team that was strong and so I employed chefs who were far better at their job than me. I was a good leader at that point. I was a good at organizing. I was good at, you know, being symptomatic and let's do this, let's do this, let's do this. But by employing people who were better than me, it allowed me to grow into a bigger role within that business. And so I got to focus on lots of things that I wouldn't have got to focus on if I was just focusing on cooking. Yeah. One thing I wanted to add to um, what you said um, and it's, I've done a lot of self-reflection as well about um, selfish people, non-selfish people, giving people, whatever it might be. And I agree with you that everyone is selfish to an extent. What I'm saying at the moment, um, which is something I picked up and I very much believe in, is I think it's important that maybe 49% you're about yourself, but 51% about others. And that's the difference. Right. Yeah. yeah, for sure. I think what I, like my selfish part is not about me. It's about yeah. the four people that live in my house. Yeah. The three of them that, you know, I've made and, yeah. and my wife. And, and so it's not really selfish because it's not for me, but it's for, it's for that greater good of, sure. yeah. of that family nest, you know. What do you find, because um, you're a natural leader and you lead your team at Blackboard and I'm, you've led teams all over the world. Mm-hmm. What did you find because 
good leaders I find have come from someone else that was a really good leader in front of them or above them that showed them certain things that they just stick to, like they don't they don't divert from. And one of the things that um, I noticed about you was decision making. You found easy and were very direct in terms of we're making this decision because of this. You will live with it if it's wrong, right? No, no one. I find in this this period, the hardest thing is to get people to make a decision because they're scared. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, you probably have a right to be scared in this type of environment. But if you yeah. don't make a decision, I've always said this, and this is probably the one thing my dad told me. Oh, he told me lots of good things, but one of the main ones was indecisiveness or indecision will get you killed Mm -hmm. because if you're crossing the road he said it to me at such a young age that I always remembered it that he's like either you sprint if you see that car or you stay but you don't get in the middle of the road and just hang there because you'll you'll get hit by the car so have you always made decisions on the spot quickly due to research and education about what's in front of you or do you just think it's a built-in mechanism? I yeah. think it's a built-in mechanism. I think yeah. that's that's gut, you know. I yeah. think it's um, not being afraid to follow your gut. And yeah. like you say, you live and die. And, and yeah. not all choices are good. You know, I'll put my hand up for some of the choices that we've made quickly yeah. have not always been to the probably the best benefit long term but but that's what built that's what has built your gut yeah, yeah absolutely yeah, exactly. absolutely but i also think that like i'm someone who um someone told me years and years ago that if you make a decision especially in hospitality you stick to it for You've six months to, yeah six months minimum you do not see the fruit of the tree that you plant today for six months yep and I think the problem in hospitality is that people don't give time mm-hmm. because they're scared. Yep. Because they're scared, oh, there's no customers or this happened or this didn't go well. And um, for me, it's always been six months. That's what it is. We're not changing that decision until we see mm-hmm. what that fruit looks like. Man, that's amazing. One thing to give you massive props about is um, obviously we've come into this game and you know cells introduced you to us and me and he said man if there's one guy that knows how to navigate the hospitality industry it's mark and um obviously when we were going through what we were going through at our new cafe so i was like let's get mark in he's i I tell you he's gonna tell you what you need to do straight away and we sat down and we had a quick chat and you were like you need to change this in this layout and I think you need to come up with a more simple product and do this and do that. And you know what? We've implemented all those things and before this pandemic hit and wreaked havoc on everyone, um, it was really starting to work. And um, man, huge thanks and props to you just even for some general comments that you probably think didn't, you know, weren't much. They definitely made a huge impact Um, and it shows obviously your experience and just how connected you are to the business right now. I think one thing for people in hospitality um, is that they want to build a business that they can step out of and it can run for them. And obviously it's worked for a lot of people, but... Who? Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> Perfect. Let's, so that's exactly what I wanted to get into. You're yeah. completely ingrained in that business. You yeah. know everything about it. Yeah. Tell us your thoughts about about exactly that. Yeah, I think that, um, I think that it doesn't work. Yeah. I think... Honestly, I think that 
maybe it works for a little bit, but it, look at Jamie Oliver, right? Hugely successful, huge, and his whole business fell to pieces before this. Yeah, every right. single restaurant that he had pretty much is gone. Right. And if he can't do it, who can? Then who can? George Columbaris, his restaurants all all gone. Yeah, yeah. all gone. And I, and I think that you know, like we had me and Nick, we opened um, the two larder shops. I was in with the roasters at that point. We had Blackboard. And um, I think that's the, the biggest thing I learned was that you just spread yourself too thin. Mm-hmm. You lose your identity. I remember we had um, Lola, our first baby, and um, we had someone come in to do like a... Um, what's the right word? Uh, she was going to be like a, a manager that's going to lead us to where we wanted to go mm-hmm. with multiple stores. Yeah. Yep. And so the goal back then was to take this larder brand and put it into shopping centers all over the country. You know, the, you yeah. know that dream, right? Yeah. Sell it to it. retail food group yeah. who are on their <laughs> ass now. Yeah, yeah. Barely exist, you know. <laughs> but, but that was the dream yeah. back then. And, um, and after two weeks of maternity, I come back and barely recognized the shop that I'd left two weeks earlier. Wow. And it was at that point I was like, nah, it's not for me. Yeah. And, and I'm comfortable with that. I'm mm. comfortable with... Um, not needing multiple businesses, and we and we made less money because yeah. I felt like we were just driving around putting out fires. And yeah. I think there's a lot to be said for doing, especially in hospitality, doing something and doing it really well, yeah. and not not overstretching and, and trying to just get greedy because yeah. there's only so much you need. If you build something that's really good and that you you know you really focus on it and you become part of that community then it will give you all you need yeah. in life, you know. I mean, 100%. I, I have no issue telling people, similar as that story with Biscuit and starting that, that I was like, I'm going to have one here, I'm going to have one in Melbourne, I'm going to have one in Sydney, I'm going to have one in New York. And getting into it and opening it, that was great. And then I kept thinking, like, all right, when's the next one, when's the next one? And I remember one day sitting down and just actually trying to work out why did I actually want the next one? And then I literally looked at myself and said, that has to be an ego thing. Because mm. it's, not, it's not financial at this stage. Because I, I got this one open. It's doing well. I don't need more. Like, I'm not, I'm not after a, a massive paycheck. I'm not after to sell this thing. If someone came to me today and said, I'll buy it off you. I hadn't the intention at that stage to sell. I just had the intention to replicate. And then I was like, this has to be just due to my ego that's feeding this. Mm step back have a look at it properly it was and then i said well i'm not doing anymore like it was that simple to at that point to say that's so interesting though because and it's interesting you call it ego because you you have a lot of energy and drive and willingness to succeed so you put your energy into building a mega ice cream business you built a mega um confectionery business you're now in an agency, you have gyms, all those sorts of things. Do you still think that that's a part of your ego or is it? No, not at all. Because those, those things I can like, obviously I know myself, but I can say that the gym was built from a nutrition business Mm -hmm. that happened to have a community and the community needed somewhere to train. Mm -hmm. At that stage we were training at Apex, which was great, but everyone within our community at Apex was saying, we want this, we want this, we want this. And then I was like, well, we can build that and that would be good for all of us within this community so that was great the agency obviously became was very organic in the sense of me realizing that i'm definitely no mark um which i found out very quickly that i'm great at 
creating brands that can fit into health food or hospitality and things like that but that's my skill set thinking that I'm the restaurateur or operational person is wrong so I need to move away from that and I need to start selling off these businesses where I am the owner operator which is not my strong set it's better building these things and getting people like Mark to Mm. run own it's so interesting though so all of them happened organically and you know that it would benefit the community to start up this new thing and they could get what they needed out of that sort of entity and then organically another thing sort of was grown but to open a second biscuit didn't necessarily follow the same no thing no and same with larder it's like you had a blackboard you wanted to create something else but it didn't it's not like the customers needed it now we it's funny because i think that it was a complete ego thing like if i look back now is that i'd been with nick for probably 10 months before we decided to do larder yeah and i think it was more of i want something that we did together yeah yeah because at that point blackboard didn't feel like it had anything to do with me it felt like you know like it was Nick's friends were still at uni they were still coming in it very much felt like Nick's blackboard and at that time it was probably ego pushing me to go let's do something that's not Nick's blackboard attached to that you know and and I was younger then I was sick you know what's that 28 27 so I think that like if I look back it's probably one of the biggest drivers back then was just wanting something that yeah I, I, could, cre- I created I could you know? that's could, fair enough yeah I could relate to that and yeah. with relating to what you were saying where Biscuit didn't feel like that I was trying to do one in New York or LA I yeah. don't have a community there <laughs> yeah. I, I don't even know anyone there but that, this that is, was just this because is, it was a cool city this yeah. is a really important point that yeah. I think is starting to come out a lot lately it's just like let me think about this it's like you don't create a product and then try and find a community you yeah are part of a community and you create a, a product that they're, they're wanting, they're needing, that's, yeah. you know, that can add to the success or the, you know, the vibrance of that community. Not, yeah. hey, I want to make this product and now I've got to find a community yeah. to sell this product to. Yeah, but I think, especially in hospitality, Biscuit, you know, Blackboard, probably Paddock, Bam Bam, places like that, they're unreplicable yeah. because it's something inside those walls that comes over time an energy a feeling um you know that makes it what it is for sure to think that you can take that and put it anywhere would be extremely naive it's so So can a can a franchise system survive in this in this climate in the world in you know australia right now or is that they're not surviving yeah Yeah. are they i don't know any franchises that are flourishing at the moment i think you think of i think you needed to have been ingrained into the fabric of society so far back that a franchise like a mcdonald's can Mm. survive now because it's part of society it's really interesting yeah that brand is synonymous with people's growing up their childhood most people have worked at one. Mm-hmm. Like there, there's so many things with the something like that. It's completely different, but they'll never they'll never go under. Nah. Obviously, they're, they're just ingrained into yeah. the fabric of all of our culture. Mm-hmm. But it's not even cheap anymore. At <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely not. Like and people 
perfect example. People still remember 30 cents cones yeah. at McDonald's. Mm-hmm. If you go there now, there's no 30 cents cone, yeah. but you think in your head that all those things True. still exist there. Yeah. You still think that you can go get your dollar fries yeah. and yeah. all those other types of things, but it's it's non-existent. It's it, just what you remember. It's nostalgic. Exactly. It's very nostalgic. For sure, man. Yeah. It really is. It's such an interesting point in time in hospitality because, you know, you know what we're saying is like so you've got your biscuits and you've got your blackboards and things like that that just can't be replicated and then you've got your franchise systems that are ingrained into our society that won't disappear either and then you've got this in between and then you've got so for example these poke bowl restaurants that are popping up and there's probably three four or five around the country and things like that because Mm -hmm. it's a trend Mm -hmm. and people are jumping onto that and they're getting a quick hit but then a lot of them are dying off as well is that kind of what we're seeing right now? We're seeing these businesses opening up on trends that are fueled by trends yeah. and then they're able to sort of quickly establish a few locations, but then it's not sustainable and they all start dropping off again. My thoughts on it are um, that because we live in an Instagram society, that these businesses open because everyone froths it. Like I remember when we came up with the syringe donut yeah. yep. six years ago, right? And no one was doing it. Yep. Donuts weren't even, like, yeah. fashionable then. And wow, I remember that. Yeah. Wow. That was a complete accident as well. Yeah. <laughs> we went for a durry and left it. We just used to fill the donuts with it. <laughs> no a, way. We used to fill the donuts with, the, with one syringe, yeah. you know? And um, I shoved the syringe in the donut and went for a durry and walked back in and just saw it and sat there. I was like, fuck, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it literally like blew it up. It caught fire. That thing blew, caught fire. It so, blew yeah. up. And, and, you know, that was the best thing for our business back then because it, it, it opened us up to a bigger community. But instead of focusing on that donut at that time, we focused on our service <laughs> And our quality and our coffee to make sure that the new audience that we captured, we're going to come back for other things yeah. after the syringe donut. But see so your question, like how many donut stores opened oh. in the years following? Crazy. Because it, it literally yeah. like blew up, yeah. and they're all gone. Yeah, and muffin store, uh, yeah. cupcakes, yeah, yeah. cupcakes, all gone. And yeah. and I think that. They come into fashion. People are like, I want a cupcake, but fuck, no one likes a cupcake. Yeah. Like, little kids eat cupcakes. Yeah. Yeah. It was never yeah. going to survive. It wasn't. It definitely wasn't. I think the hard thing is, um, for me and Miles are big on Simon Sinek at the moment. He's obviously got his start with why. And that, to me, is the biggest indicator of everything moving forward that I've had some wins, I've had some losses. This is going to blow people's minds. I actually never really liked ice cream. And to this day, don't actually like <laughs> ice cream that much. And then it's like, oh, weren't you part of Cocoa Whip? I'm like, yeah. But then I look at it and I think, actually, it really didn't. Like, if you asked me how many Cocoa Whips I had a day, I'd be like, maybe one that I had to taste, test at the start to make sure the machine was running right. And then you start to think the brands or the things you connect to and that you do that you have a strong why about mm. are the ones that you love, that you're passionate about, that you care about, that you push forward, that you do all these great things with. You came from NZ as a chef, as a gun chef. The team. Isle of Man originally. <laughs> and from, and yeah. from there, you obviously put that passion into Blackboards, which mm. has made it a great thing. You didn't put it into a donut store because yeah. you saw there was going to be a huge trend. I'm sure... Donuts. Everyone loves a donut, but mm. it wasn't something that you're passionate about yeah. in in any sense. It just so happened to have it be a really cool product that you guys 
did at that time. Yeah. So everyone that's jumping on, whether it be a trend or a bandwagon, if you personally do not connect with whatever the product, brand, service, whatever it is, I'm 95% sure it's probably not going to survive long term because so much shit happens in this world. Yeah. No one predicted this type of shit, but <laughs> there's there's other things that come along that maybe there will be another pandemic after this. Yeah. We'll get through this and it could be something else. Who Who's to say what's around the corner, really? I think anyone out there who's thinking about opening a shop that sells one thing, don't. Yeah. Don't. Cool. Because one shop that sells one kind of... Especially food. Yeah. It's just not going to drink. People need to go there and have variety. They need to go there for something else i think that um you know i was i was talked to a lot by the people who i worked for in new zealand very clever people um about unique selling points and making sure that every business that was going to succeed had to offer something that was unique and i think that that's why there's this middle ground in hospitality where you have people who are really or seem to be really successful the big probably five cafes they all have something that is really unique. And all the ones below that tend to follow mm. what those cafes are doing because they're leaders in the industry. And it comes out very wishy-washy. Mm-hmm. And so if you don't have a unique selling point in your business, it's not going to last that long no. because you're always just flipping and flopping from mm. the next thing. You know? I feel like that can be one of the hardest things for people to discover when they're starting a business like you know when you're starting a business and you're looking at your business plan and it says what are your unique selling points and you're just like fuck what am i what are my unique selling points i don't know what they are you know it's one of the hardest things it's also hard to go all in on something because you think you have to be everything to everyone it's it's just a natural thing because everyone wants to be liked by everyone and you know if you go down this line people over the age of 40 are going to think you think shit like they're just going to say nah not into that but then if you go down this line people in between the ages of 18 to 30 are going to think you think shit and you don't want to lose them so it's hard to Mm. often just say I'm willing to sacrifice that because I believe in this Mm. or I want this to be my unique self but it's it's interesting like the early days of Blackboard especially around the syringe donut time I'd say that we had probably a huge um, part of the business was the I don't mean this in a bad way, but the renter crowd, the yep. people at cafe hop to go get yeah. photos. And yep. um, and it was probably about six months and I was like, these aren't the people that are going to be here for the next six years. Mm-hmm. So what are we going to do as a business to keep the people interested yeah. that want to come back and support us for six years? Mm. And I think that that's really key in any business going forward is that you have to understand your customer and understand who you want and don't get caught up in sales that are not going to be there long term because it's really easy as a business owner to go oh my god we made this much money but if the customers are the ones that hop around that the next trend that comes out like we talked about they're going to go over to that shop and they're going to take their selfies there and you know they're going to they're going to talk about it over there then those sales are just a quick transaction you know don't go out and spend all that money that you just made because in six months those people aren't going to be there anymore you know yeah 100% true it's funny when you were mentioning that when I was talking thinking about blackboards and um, the trends and everything that were going along and you would know because you were in the cafe and seeing how there'd be 
the new It Cafe, mm. and you would hear someone talk about it, and you'd hear someone talk about it, and you'd hear someone talking talking about all these different places. I always used to like think the cafes that people weren't talking about, but they would still frequent once a week, twice a week, whatever it may be, were always the ones that were always going to be there because mm. they weren't talked about. For example, mm. people. If you ask people now, they're not going to Blackboards, as you said, to take an Instagram photo. Mm-hmm. They're just going there because the food is fucking good. Yeah. The coffee is yeah, good. Yeah. The service is good. You know what you're going to get. You're in, you're out. But there's, they may not be talking about it, but they're still going there to spend the money, obviously, yeah. until what happens, happen. That's where you want to be as a business, being consistent and having that continual reputation and loyal customer that comes through rather than the roller coaster spike that's always going to come with a massive massive Mm. drop which is where businesses don't survive that once Mm. once that drop comes through like you we've seen people have babies their kids are growing up with us and so it becomes part of um part of a family almost and and our customers grow with us we grow with our customers and i think it's so important you know we did a, a post the other day on our stories where we ask people to just go back and tag us in their earliest blackboard posts. And, cool. and we know all those people yep. and they've been coming for so long and they looked a bit fresher back <laughs> then, um, especially after the last couple of weeks. But um, it's really nice to know that people have been supporting mm. since day one and, and continue to do so on a weekly basis. Yeah. You know? So now, obviously, um, with everything that's going on and you not being able to operate at full force, what are you planning to do to continually connect with your customers is there anything specific that you're doing um do you have a strategy in place what 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 are you going to focus on now while you're closed well well we're the takeaway well we're doing takeaway the only thing that we're focusing on is our primary sole focus is to make people smile for the 35 seconds they're in the shop yep that's literally it give them a break from the chaos Mm -hmm. put some good music on they have to listen to me sing terribly. It makes them <laughs> smile. You know, that's literally like, it makes me feel better. It makes the other staff that are still there feel better. It makes the customers feel better. And for that minute or so, or 30 seconds, at one and a half meters, mm-hmm. um, it makes a difference. You know, it makes a difference. Is um, there an opportunity that you're seeing with this adjustment? I think it's going to be in in life in general not necessarily hospitality i think we're going to see some massive changes to the way that we live our life i think that a lot of businesses are probably going to reflect on their business model now everyone's working from home and probably more productive yeah um we'll probably see lots and lots of full lease signs in big buildings that used to have people in them um because once they figure out they don't have to pay rent to get the same output or a higher output um, I think that the workplace in general is probably going to change Very dramatically, dramatically, mm. because why would you pay rent if everyone can work from home? And it's probably the push that society needed yeah. to give that a go and mm. see what it looks like. You know? Is your brain already working forward thinking about how you can sort of support this new adjustment to, to living after we've all, all this has been balanced back out? 
Uh, well, my brain's just like just like <laughs> literally just started working again the last couple of days, um, but not not too much. I think uh, at the moment everyone's got to take it a day at a time. Yeah. I think that if anyone's living more than a day at a time at the moment, they've got inside information. Yeah, because, right. um, <laughs> because you know the prime minister's on again tonight, and there'll be a whole a whole lot of other changes. But I think in the coming weeks. Um, it's a good time for people to really get their thinking caps on because there's going to be a lot of opportunity, Mm -hmm. a lot of opportunity. Man, how do you, as a leader, um, and someone's the leader of your community and the Prime Minister's supposed to be the leader of our community, Mm -hmm. being Australia, how do you think he's gone so far? I've been very vocal about how he's gone, but I'm interested that my opinion is You think bad? I don't know. And when I say Prime Minister, I shouldn't Mm -hmm. refer to him as the individual that's making this decision because Mm -hmm. we all know there's a team collectively as a government that drives our country forward and everything like that i just believe that they're similar to what i said before hesitation will get you killed indecision will get you killed and i feel that's what's happening now and i feel they're trying to do it for what they feel is the best good of the country obviously Mm -hmm. i don't think they're doing this on purpose but at the same time i feel Decisions could be made earlier. Yeah, we're it's, trying to please everyone. They but are, it's, and yeah. I feel exactly that we we've seen some history of what's happened in places like Italy, with different mm. countries, mm. the states. I, I understand we're all very different countries, and they think we can stretch this out to help the economy. Like they they're genuinely trying to to help, but without clear decisions, we aren't a population, as you know that makes good decisions like you can't you can't leave stuff in the hands of people mm-hmm. in a time like this not that i'm saying australians don't make the right decisions all no, the but time, it's right but it's the same people that are running and panic buying and running mm-hmm. around like their fucking heads are chopped that's, off that's what yeah. i mean it's, mm-hmm. it's not and i don't blame anyone in this but i feel if something was just said decisively that you cannot do this mm then people will not do it. I feel everyone's generally law-abiding and wants to do the right thing, but if they don't know, they don't know. And they'll do whatever the frontal part of their primal part of their brains telling them like fuck there's only one toilet roll left i'll push that old lady over to get it like it, it just it, yeah. i think this stuff could be avoided if something was said definitively yeah that this is what we're doing yeah. but that's just my opinion it's i think not- if we strip the government back to say a workplace right and we look at it as the government or a workplace and scomo's the boss of that workplace but then there's five other bosses yes yeah that all have to look after something in that workplace. And that's kind of what it's like in government, right? Is that he has to govern, but then there's all the state leaders that want to do whatever they want to do in their state coming out saying, we're going to do this, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do this. So he's being pulled in every direction by Mm -hmm. people who want to be seen to be good, right? And, and, And at the end of the day, those people who are in state government want to be prime minister. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right, one day, maybe not this year, maybe not next year, but they want to be prime minister. Mm-hmm. So for them, I think that they all think that they're on parade for that job. Yeah. yeah. And so they're trying to look good, but we don't know if that's in the country's best interest. Yeah. yeah. Right. Because all the information is coming out is all different. So, so to get one message across when you have different political parties in each state with different leaders all saying, I want to do this. Mm -hmm. My expert says this. I want to do this. 
my expert says this, it must be extremely hard trying mm. to pull people together and govern when they all believe in different things. They all want your job. Yeah. They want you to look bad and they want you to, you know, they want to make themselves look good. So Very I feel for yeah. him. I definitely feel for him. Like yeah. imagine being a manager in a place that was ran like that. I reckon yeah. you go off your chops. Yeah. You know, like you, you probably go insane. Everyone wants your job and they're trying to pull you in a different direction. Do, so you, do you think if you're a strong enough leader with enough charisma and character and backing, I use the New Zealand Prime oh, Minister. Man, I'm, I'm yeah. going there. I'm just literally so, yeah. Googling her so, name. Yeah. I don't know what it is. We, we, can go, we, can go, <laughs> we can go to New Zealand, but she doesn't have any, any state premiers trying to deflect on what she's doing yeah. I, I do I do I 100% do understand that but I'll even use Trump and I'm not a Trump fan obviously <laughs> but if I use he's him as funny. A, he is funny <laughs> he is real funny but if I use him as an example yeah he's in the line of fire from everywhere not just his country yeah every other country but he'll make a decision yeah rightly or wrongly he will just say this is it and we're doing this and this is how it's going to roll out. And, yeah. and a lot of them may be bright, may be wrong, but mm. I could live with that. I feel like I would deal with, well, fuck, this guy's done this again, but at least I know what's ahead. Do you know what, though? Yeah, we, yeah. That, um, a narrative's been built around him. Like, he's been so connected to the world for so long. He's on Twitter. You know who he is as a person. There's nothing that's surprising. It's not like we don't really know much about ScoMo. He's been elected, but it's just like, oh, I don't really know him. Even how Whereas, he got elected is yeah, another like, thing exactly. like, that hasn't been so, obviously worked in his favor in the situation. Yeah. Exactly. So there's when a decision comes out, it's like, boom, you're on charge for that decision. Whereas it's like, if there's a narrative around it, you understand sort of their way of thinking, who they are as a person. There's probably more leniency there. Mm. But I also think when we're talking about Jacinda Ardern, I just um, Googled her name, the <laughs> yeah. Prime Minister of New Zealand. Holy shit, we're talking about connection. We're talking about, this is the time where we're talking about social distancing, but what we really need to do is connect without the physical touch. Mm. But it's, she's fucking sitting there on Facebook Live in her Lee crewneck jumper on her couch, literally last night talking to the people and she's answering questions and she's laughing and she's, making decisions and someone's asking a question and then she's going oh whoops sorry i made a mistake there what i actually meant was this right. and she's mm. i've never seen that before i don't know yeah. if you guys have no not, not obviously but trump yeah. does it yeah you know he's on twitter he, he <laughs> chats with people it's yeah. a little bit more abrupt <laughs> yeah. and yeah. abrasive and yeah. full on but i don't know if she'd want to be sat no <laughs> i don't know if she'd want to be in the category with yeah. trump for sure but, but holy shit the the trust and the connection <laughs> that she's building with the people on the ground level is yeah. intense yeah. And I think that New Zealand as a country, the people probably treat each other a little bit differently yeah, to, you're right. to Australia. Obviously. Having lived in both countries, yeah. you know, like wages are less in New Zealand. Nobody really, you know, that this, I don't want to say the self-entitlement, but kind of that, you know, like it doesn't you can really say, exist there. You can say yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can say because yeah, it's true. Yeah. I, I, could, yeah. I don't I want to offend anyone, but, you yeah. know, in this country, the the sense of entitlement is a lot stronger yeah. than in New Zealand. Yeah. So when we look at their leader, I think, you know, it's it's kind of like chalk and cheese. Mm, I think yeah. that they're two very different countries run two very different ways. Mm. And I think that if she was the prime minister of 
Australia. Australians would probably hate 100%. it. They, yeah, they, oh, you know, I think they're like, oh, I love her. Yeah. She's great. Yeah, yeah, but if yeah. she was actually here in this country mm-hmm. and was doing the things that she does yeah, maybe, there yeah. here, I don't think that Very she'd be. I don't think she'd be loved the same way yeah. just because of the way yeah. this country is is kind of probably right, man. You, you probably know. could be could be spot on the money there. Yeah. Tall poppy syndrome doesn't yeah. really um, exist in New Zealand. Like, yeah. I never saw it when wow. I was there. Like. It's, it's just a bit different. Can I know? share a crazy thought that I've been having recently? Yeah, man. I was thinking the other day, I was just like, fuck, there is so much entitlement here and I'm seeing a lot of selfish people and, you know, a lot of it can consume you sometimes, which is bad and you've got to just you let, let that out of your head because it can, can fuck you up sometimes. I even went as far thinking the other day, I was like, man, I'm seeing so much entitlement here and especially with like the pandemic hitting and mm. people reverting to their self-interests and things when we really need to be supporting, you know, and being giving and stuff. I was almost thinking like, wow, I think I might, I think I should consider moving to another country that suits my my morals and my values right. and way of living. And, you know, I've grown up in a European family. It's all mm. about giving, giving, giving. Um, and that's not all right either. It's an extreme and where, you know, I'm seeing other extremes from, you know, the entitlement side of things. But yeah, it's really becoming prevalent. Hey, like the fact that it's built into our culture as Australians yeah. are quite, we're quite self-entitled and in it's a way we've, we've been, we've been coddled as a, as a society for, yeah. for a long time. I think like, that's why this fall is probably going to hit really hard mm, people. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. It's going to be a struggle. Mm. I, I, I I might be wrong, but I don't mm. remember seeing lots of people buying toilet paper in New Zealand. I still got friends there. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. I don't know if that e- even happened over there. Yeah. I think that that probably sums up where we're at at the moment with, yeah. with you know, what we're doing. Mm. Yeah, I definitely also think the aspect of Australia is naturally quite protected in terms of mm. the aspect of we're on an island. It's quite large. Mm. Cities are far apart from each other. States, although we're connected at the same time, you can almost be um, treated as separate. But with everything that's going on right now, I feel people, even the class system and everything that's going on at this stage really has led to people looking left and right and understanding that, fuck, like, there may not be (laughs) this thing that I expect every week. And that's the big word that I've always, I've started to realise is they expect Mm. that my paycheck is going to be there every week, that there's going to be food on the table every week, that Mm. I'm going to get to do this and I have my weekends and my public holiday is this and Mm. this is that, that... That may not happen. Yeah, and no. like that that could very well all disappear over this period. And because you've had a level of expectation, that's going to continue. What do you do when you don't have that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, my expectation from a business point of view, you look at it and you go, "Well, surely now we've got like almost two million people unemployed, right?" And yeah. in the next couple of weeks, it's going to significantly yeah. grow. I start thinking from a business point of view in six months, say it's six months when we can fully operate again, what's that going to look like? What's the world going to look like at that point? I imagine that they're going to have to throw every fair work handbook in the bin, mm. right? Because there's no way you're going to be able to pay true. a dishy 26 bucks an hour. When so true, man. And yeah. so they're going to have to re-stimulate the whole employment sector. And how do you do that? You drop wages. And so instead of being so paid true. 26 bucks an hour, you're probably going to be paid 16 bucks an hour. And that's what it's going to be like in the future. Yeah. But that's, you know, whether that happens or not, it's the only way that I see you get that many people back in gainful employment oh, quickly. Man. You're, you're 100% right. I didn't even, like, I looked at thinking, how are people going to get back into the workforce? 
But the fair work thing, as you were talking about, and that expectation, and what we were just referring to as, I'm going to get my weekly paycheck. Yeah. For those that are obviously are used to getting their weekly paycheck, because there was like an expectation of what that looks like, and it's a level of income that, unbeknown to them, it's quite high. Yeah, yeah, it's for, high. For, for the, compared to the rest of the world, yeah, it's, high. it's really, really high. Anyone that's come from anywhere else that's come to Australia gasp straight yeah. away when they've had another business in another country and come here and said, I have to pay how much to do what? Yeah. And having everyone taking a step back and going, we're going to fall into line with what is probably the norm mm-hmm. out there will really really crush a lot of people i can see that being very hard for quite a lot of people to adjust to and realize that's their new norm Mm -hmm. um but it's in a way a good norm like yeah it it, it's it makes these situations tolerable and people can move forward and work together as a community rather than i'm going to take this and take Mm -hmm. this now so yeah yeah there's definitely positives throughout this thing that Obviously, most people don't look at it in that aspect, but there are there are good things that will come from what's about to occur. Mm. Man, what a stimulating combo! Fantastic combo, yeah. frothing, <laughs> <laughs> brother. We um, can obviously talk for a long time, yeah, and um, certainly interested in getting you back on. And maybe when this is all over, let's see how you're uh, adjusting to what the world look like looks like at that point. But to leave our guests with something. Can you give us some words of wisdom, a, a quote you live by or, you know, um, have loved from the past or just anything? Yeah, that I value? think that um, one thing that I've learned through my whole career is that you get things by asking for things, no matter how wild they are. To leave your expectations and your dreams on the table for all to hear will make you successful long term i literally have never gotten anything that i haven't asked for Mm -hmm. and i think not enough people ask not enough people say i want this can you give this to me the more you ask the more you will get no one is going to throw it at you if you did not ask the question awesome bro fantastic appreciate you coming on man stay safe stay healthy good luck